Utah. For woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Welcome to Wood Talk, number 317, for July 25th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about sharpening stone contamination. Look out! It's contaminated. And dealing with hardware on our projects. And actually, speaking of hardware, let's talk a moment about our sponsor, Bruso Hardware. Bruso's cool. Actually, they want me to say more than that, but they're having a huge sale. Other website at bruso.com. You might have seen that. I saw some stuff on Facebook and, and Instagram, I think, um, August 8th through the 19th. So that's coming up soon. All of their side rail hinges, quadrant hinges, and templates will be 50% off. Wow. So for more details, go to bruso.com slash sale. The sale is only happening for a limited time, like we said, August 8th through the 19th. You do not want to miss it. You do want to go to there. If you or someone you know has been holding off and buying one of Bruso's products, now's the time to do it. Do it now. Stock up. Yeah, 50% off is a pretty killer deal on yeah. the finest hinges there. I've actually never used the Quadrant hinges, have you? No, I've only used their knife hinges. Yeah, I've had just regular butt hinges and, and knife hinges, but uh, quadrant hinges. Maybe I should build like a box or something. That'd be Maybe cool. you should build a box. Yes. Maybe I should. Why One not? box building, please. Because I don't have enough to do. That would be good. You don't? All right. Yeah. I can, can change that. Um, so you, you might notice there's a conspicuous lack of mark. <laughs> conspicuous <laughs> lack of mark. Um, it's very conspicuous. Yeah, because there's this other Yahoo who did the opening to the show. It's just just Matt and I again, because uh, Mark is uh, Mark's out again, and he's he's very upset by this. In fact, he sent uh, Matt and I like a series of texts, and you could see he was very angst ridden about the whole thing. And I'm thinking, dude, it's not that big of a deal. Like we we got this. We'll cover this. I think he's really worried we're going to replace him, Matt. Well, I mean, he was a guest host last week. That's true. It's true. He's he's now he's an infrequent guest host. Uh, <laughs> Basically, it just comes down to the fact that we got so much feedback about how Mark oppresses and represses Matt that um, he's actually on the line right now. But I just turned his volume way down. No, no, seriously, he's on the line. His volume's turned up, but he had thyroid surgery. You remember all that stuff? He's constantly clearing his throat and like hacking into the microphone and stuff. Yeah, they they they, they took out his throat. So he can't talk anymore. So, um, you know, the YouTube world is rejoicing because everybody always talks about how Mark talks too much on his videos. So you're doing a lot of silent videos now. Yeah. All silent videos with a cool like piano soundtrack behind it. Yeah. There you go. No, seriously, folks, he's fine. He just had thyroid surgery and he, you know, can't talk very well right now. Can you blame him? They like cut open his throat and like took stuff out of it. Oh. <laughs> let's let's talk about that's what's on mark's bench um, <laughs> throat parts hopefully he should be back next week i think he's just kind of very uncomfortable to talk so yeah it is what it is so what about you matt what's on your bench um nothing on the bench it's all outside i'm still working on the farmhouse table it's been it's been fun I, you know it's been a while since i've done some good larger scale woodworking so it's um it's nice i've been working on the oh i got the the tabletop just about all finished up i'm attaching the last breadboard end or the second breadboard end right now or before we started this i was working on that nice and the uh two end assemblies of the base are all done so i'll do now is to uh just make the connecting rails that join those side those side assemblies together and that thing will be ready for uh finish nice what's the tabletop size on this again it is ended up at 36 inches wide by 10 feet long nice 
Yeah. Nice. I've been flipping it over to like work on both sides. That's that's an interesting uh, feat, by the way. Yeah, that's always fun, <laughs> especially when it's like you know you don't want it to come slamming down on the other side to like put oh, yeah, it's and stuff. Definitely a controlled fall, a very minorly controlled, controlled fall. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of those in college. Controlled. Uh. <laughs> Nice. So I, um, you've probably said this before, and I blame this on um, watching videos without sound lately <laughs> while I'm supposed to be doing other things. But what it, what is the catalyst for this? Is this your farmhouse table? Or is this for somebody else? It's for us. It's um, We did a, our patio thing a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So we have this big open space, and the idea was to always put like, like a nice big uh, dining table out there right. for hanging out outside and eating dinner outside or whatever. So, you know, it's been... I've been talking about it for a while, so I'm finally doing it. That's cool. I don't think I know enough people who want to come to my house to fill a 10-foot table. Well, I know lots of people, but every time I bring up coming to my house, they always have something else to do. It was more like we had the space to fill. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I'm not so worried about people getting enough people to sit around it. It's just to fill the space. (laughs) I'm having images of, like, you and Lindsay sitting on opposite ends from one another. It's like oh, that that original Batman movie with Michael Keaton when he's sitting with uh, what's her name uh, on opposite ends of the table. It's like, can you pass the salt, please? <laughs> next, next, you need to get like you know, talk to one of like the the maker people to build you some sort of um, intercom. <laughs> maker people, <laughs> maker. I don't know. You know those people who are more creative than me who use things other than wood. I'm a woodworker, man. I'm not a maker. I, I, I just big stuff with wood. Call me a maker is an insult. a tin to... can and the string will be good to go. That's true. That's true. But it would have to be a wooden tin can. Then it's not a tin can, is it? A wooden can. Wooden can, yeah. yeah. I'm just a lowly woodworker. I, I don't make stuff with any other medium. I'm, I'm not smart enough for that. <laughs> Still, that's pretty awesome though, man. I can't wait to see this come together. How are you attaching the base to the top? Uh, big lag bolts. Nice. Kind of like, uh, well, exactly the same way that the bench top is attached to my bench. Yeah. Or the base is attached to the bench. Yeah, I got those big uh, spacks screws, like the big spacks lag screw things. Mm-hmm. Five sixteenths, something like that. So there's what, like a, a stretcher that goes between the legs? Yeah. Or? There's uh, the whole cross brace assembly, but there's an upper that will be touching the tabletop. Nice. So I'll have, I, I set it up to do three, three screws into the tabletop on the end assemblies of the perpendicular ones. And then along the length of it, I'll just put uh, two or three along that beam to hold that tabletop down. Right. See, that's so good to hear. <laughs> There's always, I, I get this question a lot. Well, how do you attach the top to the base? And it's like, I have to worry about wood movement. It's like, my answer is usually I just screw it down. <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah, you can elongate holes slightly to allow for expansion and all that stuff. And that and that's kind of what we should do. But, you know, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with just screwing it down. Yeah, that's, well, that's what I'll be doing. The, I mean, the middle row, I can just leave the normal size, mm-hmm. normal size holes because the middle is going to all expand out from the middle anyway. Right. And then I have four screws, so two on the ends of each uh, side assembly. I'll just drill a bigger hole yeah. for our driller, a bigger hole through that upper rail so the the screw has a little bit of motion in there and then good to go. You know, I mean, it's three and a half inches wide, what thick. So I'd be really annoying to elongate that. Yeah. So I'm just going to do an oversized hole. <laughs> right. Well, it is, it is interesting because that, um, that kind of trestle cross leg picnic style dining table I built, um, 
last summer, finished last summer. Um, it's the same type of thing. The cross brace was, I guess it's two and a half inches thick. So similar in, in mm-hmm. size. And, um, at the time I was thinking, you know, I need to make a, 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 a kind of a wide mortise here, not wide, but a long mortise so that there's you know, a fair amount of play for these screws. And I actually use lag screws with a, a big washer to kind of oh, really, sure. really grab the underside of that stretcher. Mm-hmm. And, um, like it, it barely moved like you know the whole the whole drill the hole and then like wiggle the drill bit that's probably enough <laughs> it's just i don't know i think we overstate movement a little too much i mean i guess it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt that have a wider um hole that the screw can move in but it's just i don't know I make things too hard i think most of the time we as woodworkers are like terrified of wood movement it's like it, it has us like second guessing everything we do and sometimes it's just not that big of a deal oh i'm not afraid of it i understand it and i deal with it i'm just this table is gonna be outside all the time so i'm kind of designing it with the thought that this is probably going to see the most movement of anything i've ever built right especially because of the, the width time, of the top like that how thick is the top two inches yeah i mean that's gonna it's not gonna move a lot you know, I mean, at least from a stability perspective, there's a lot of beam strength there to keep it from cupping. And, you know, mm-hmm. certainly it will expand and contract. But, yeah, that's that's going to be awesome, man. Yeah, it's not going to it's got a little bit of a cup in it right now. So when I put the breadboards in, breadboard ends on it, they did force it a little closer to flat. But then the other thing with breadboards, too, is everyone's like, you need them to keep the tabletop flat. I think they kind of forget that the, the apron assembly or this, the base assembly you're going to attach this tabletop down to has way more beam strength than a breadboard end. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to even... Well, I mean, the, if that were the case, then any table without a breadboard end, you'd be like, oh my God, it's a potato chip. You know, <laughs> what potato happened? Chip. you got to have the breadboard table. end. Yeah, you know, breadboards, you don't have to have breadboards on every table, right? You know, <laughs> otherwise the, the, that might be true. Your table's going to explode without breadboards. <laughs> I don't know, it's just yeah, for this cool. one is more of a... Well, the way people have been attaching them lately online, I'm pretty sure the breadboard kind of encourages your table to explode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That that is that is interesting. I've seen some pretty interesting installations of late where you (laughs) kind of don't understand what a breadboard's for, do you? (laughs) (laughs) It looks cool. Yeah. And I think that's what it's come down to. It's just an aesthetic thing. You know, it's like uh, green and green ebony plugs. They don't actually do anything but look pretty. They do look pretty. Nice. So what's the uh, what's the plan for the finish? I am doing a Mark Spagnuolo finish. I wish he was here to uh, to you know enjoy basking this. Uh, I'm gonna do the uh, the CPES for the base coat and then Epiphanes for the top coat. Nice. And I'm gonna try and rub the Epiphanes out a little bit to get the sheen down because I really don't. I'm not a fan of that super glossy. Yeah, that marine look. look. Yeah, so I'm gonna try and I'm gonna see if I can. Um, buff it down a little bit to get it closer to maybe like a satin ish look but i also was looking online and i was gonna see if he knew anything about this but the they offer like a matte top coat like a rubbed out look top coat and Mm -hmm. it's kind of got like some kind of like mixed ish reviews i don't know if he's ever messed with that before but i figured i could probably get away with just rubbing it out and just putting a little elbow grease into it I'm sure it'll work out just fine. Well, I've got a a boat builder I work with at the lumber yard that um, recently he he's kind of gone the whole green and green route where um, you know he's got this incredible these incredible yachts. Let's call them what they are. They're yachts, <laughs> big giant multi million dollar things. You know, and he, he's built like the house, the yacht, and then he's gone like full on like the interior furniture and everything, and kind of putting one kind of design idea together like 
the greens did with their ultimate bungalows, mm-hmm. which I suppose in, in something like a, a boat where everything is kind of bolted down, it's not really that unusual, but he's really gotten kind of design artsy fartsy on some of the <laughs> interior furniture to the point where instead of like the finest highest grade teak for the decking that he's using for the boat he's using a lot of the um uh more defect ridden live edge knots and like the other teak that you wouldn't oh, cool. call first european quality for tabletops and things like that it's a very cool look but it's a he's had the same thing where i don't want that high gloss finish and he uses that stuff same epiphanes matte finish and he loves it it's good right. and it looks great i've seen plenty mm. of pictures of these tables and you know these people are paying several tens of millions of dollars for this boat <laughs> and they're not complaining so um aren't there um additives too it's basically just adding dirt <laughs> you know to flatteners to, to, yeah flatteners that's the word of it. it's just dirt. dirt that's all it is that's all dye and stain is right it's just finely ground dirt <laughs> <laughs> added into some sort of uh, um, um, what you call a carrier, you know, water or oil based or alcohol based, just dirt. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be the same thing. I think as if you were to like thin the finish, it'd be almost like not thickening it, but just adding um, particles in there that would help cut that reflection. I don't know. Epiphanes is so expensive, though. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not really the finish too. to experiment with. Yeah, that's the yeah. I'm like, I can kind of get away with it. I, I forget how much it was. I, I don't remember. It was like maybe thirty or forty dollars for the quart. Is that right? I don't know. I don't remember. But I'm like, yeah, years. I can just get it to whatever sheen I want if I rub it out to whatever. But maybe I don't know. We'll see um, what kind of mood I'm in. Yeah. Well, there you yeah. go, folks. Kick back. Anybody who's used the um, the semi-gloss or flat or matte or whatever they call it, the Empifanes product, let us know how it worked for you. Yeah, I just um, don't know enough about that stuff. The first time I'm looking into it or using it for anything, so, you yeah. know. Well, I mean, it's a film finish, so to me, the the foolproof method would be what you're planning on doing just rubbing it out you know if you've got a, a micro micro uh, grit abrasive and mm-hmm. you, since you're talking about a 10 foot table here you know you can, <laughs> you can rub it out with just fine, fine grit and a sanding block but let's be real you know take that 2000 grit sanding murka sanding pad or whatever it is and stick it to a random orbit sander oh yeah i've got the i've got the, the festival platin or platine whatever the yeah whatever accent you want to put it in <laughs> Platin, How, however, however obnoxious you want to be. You know, foyer, 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 platin, platin, <laughs> whatever. <Nice>. Platin. <laughs> I like platin. Nice. Well, that's awesome. When are you? Uh, what's the? Uh, the you're gonna have like um, an inauguration dinner party, something like that. Have everybody uh, probably, over. And, probably should. Yeah. I have to build the benches next. No, oh, yeah, um, that's true. Come on over, everybody. We have this beautiful table, and we're sitting in folding chairs. Well, I'm actually looking forward to building the benches because it's going to be a lot easier to film because it's, it's literally the same thing as the table, just a little baby version of that. Right. That so it's awesome. a lot less like detailed. Whereas, like when I built the table, it's going to be end up being like I don't know how many, like four videos or something like that. Maybe not that many, three videos or something. No more than that. <laughs> five, five videos with the whole table, five and the benches will be one. So it's a lot less work on my part to film it. But you are doing kind of the exact same look. It's like little baby tables. That's cool. But I'm not doing the breadboards on the benches. Yeah, that might be a bit much. Yeah. That's just pretentious. No breadboards (laughs) on benches. There's no crying in baseball. All right. Well, sweet. Well, um, anything else? Um, I I don't know. I don't think I'm doing anything else that's that exciting. I was trying to get to this table. 
every week when we prepare these show notes, it's like, what did I do this week? And I can never remember. And I'm always like, man, I don't have anything to say. And then it's like, oh, wait, I did this and did that. <laughs> so I was working on bracket feet for my blanket chest, which is just basically dovetailing together a bunch of blocks to make four feet. And um, it is ridiculously hot here right now. It's about 98 degrees outside and very close to the same humidity. Just as I was telling Matt before the show, it's as a glasses wear, it's not good because the minute I step outside, my glasses go <laughs> opaque. <laughs> Where'd the world go? Yeah, I'm fumbling around because I can't see anything because the humidity is so high. Where'd this fog come from? <laughs> Man, this stuff's terrible. <laughs> but I remember last summer, because this this happens every year, you know, you get this little stint where it's just un ridiculously inhumanely hot for a week or so and then it you know drops down to the lower 90s and it's like wow it's so cool comparatively now so i mean it's not an unusual occurrence for end of july early august but i work all year round and i'm constantly hearing from from like my hand tool school members about oh well you know i'm gonna give it up woodworking for the next month i'll start it again in the fall because they just can't get out into their shops um i did a uh a sawing consult, like a Skype consult with one of my apprentices to help him with his sawing technique. He's down in Texas, which is hot. There's no, I've been to Texas in the middle of summer. It's hot. And he's like, you know, dripping sweat. And this was like a major (laughs) ordeal to make him go out to the shop for, for a 30 minute Skype call. And and I'm like making him put him through his paces, making him saw and everything. And the poor guy is going to have like heat stroke (laughs) and just sweat pouring. Hydrate, hydrate, you know, and I'm sitting in my shop and I'm, quite comfortable you know i'm looking at the thermometer the the exterior thermometer it's like man it's it's 94 degrees outside so this weekend it was 96 95 really really high humidity and i had a ball working in my shop and i kept turning the the ac the window unit i kept turning it back and i remember last summer like putting that sucker on high and cranking it all the way to the max (laughs) and i used to have to turn it off when i would film stuff because it made so much noise so and then there's like this warning on the side that says when you turn it off wait three minutes for turning it back on i'm like screw that (laughs) the minute the clip's over i'm turning it back on because the heat has crept in and made it terrible in the shop and i'm sitting here in my shop now going what the heck is going on here like i should be dying right now and so it occurred to me i bought it i put in a new garage door um whenever that was like late winter early spring i guess it was i am shocked at what a difference that was and you know all the people who know stuff about insulation are you know going duh you idiot of course that made a difference i remember when when i had the guy come out to do the um the estimate on the new door he was throwing out facts about you know this is the largest moving object in your house like it is the biggest space to the outside air in your house when you open the garage door you're basically exchanging the air in your garage with outside because this the the opening is so big and i'm like okay so i guess i should spend you know for the the bigger insulation so i got the 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 thickest insulation that they have the most not thickest most efficient insulation they have in this door it cost me like what an extra 80 bucks for the super fantastic superior grade whatever door my god it makes a huge difference like like i said i have the ac set on low and cranked all the way back to one like the lowest possible setting and even then i found myself actually turning it off like i was in my shop on saturday for about three and a half hours good two hours into it i just turned it off i mean i turned it off to film a clip and i just didn't turn it back on it's like oh my god what an amazing thing insulation does (laughs) you know i mean there's certainly some spots there's a couple spots in the back corner of my shop where i could tell i need some better insulation back there but man so if, if you are having trouble with keeping your shop 
cool or hot or whatever, depending on the time of year, look at that garage door. <laughs> you know, maybe you don't have to buy a brand new garage door, but you could put up the insulation panels and things like that. Unbelievable difference, night and day difference um, in my shop to the point where I don't even notice now. That's pretty awesome. The fact that I was able to work when it was, you know, I don't know, whatever the heat index was, 100 something. They always say that, you know, it feels like it's 175 <laughs> degrees outside, whatever. Do you know what 175 feels like? It feels like an oven. Seriously, it's whatever that means. It's Turn hot. your oven it's on, stick your head in there. So, yeah, for everybody who's like, I'm going to give up woodworking during the summer. I realize there's many, many getting factors in this, um, but it's pretty dang hot here right now. I think we can compete with most of, you know, Mark can can whine and complain about 113 degrees, but dude, it's 20% humidity. You know, he's yeah. not here, so I can give him it's a dry heat thing and he <laughs> yes. can't fight back, but it's pretty miserable outside when the temperature is two degrees below the dew point and it's 96 degrees. <laughs> He's like walking around with a warm, wet blanket on you all day long. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm pretty pretty psyched about that. Major, major improvement to my shop and certainly from an energy perspective, if I'm not running my AC all day long, that's gonna be kind of a huge deal. So and which which direction does your door face? Oh, and that's the other thing is is we are um, late afternoon sun. Okay. Um, and I can remember like feeling the heat radiating off the <laughs> door. Like to the point where I, I – that was the reason I put the AC unit in the window in the back of the shop. Well, it's really the only the, – the window that made the most sense. But I used to like not go to the front of the shop. <laughs> I would hide at the back of the shop where my joiner bench is because, you know, unless I was standing and I could feel the air blowing from the AC unit, I was getting hot. And you could just feel it pouring through that garage door. You put your hands to the garage door in the, in the late afternoon and it's like, you know, you could fry eggs on it. So, in fact, that's the the – the room I'm sitting in right now, um, the the summer late afternoon summer sun baking through the window right now, yeah, which is why I do wood talk naked in the summer. It works. Yeah. Hey, it's important, and More why free. we don't have video or do this live anymore. <laughs> <laughs> People get me for surprise with uh, if I ever do wood talk live. Yeah, right. But other than that, um, I had to do a little bit of a spring cleaning ever since I moved my uh, lumber. Sh- shed stash whatever out to the garden shed in the back um i'm constantly kind of policing myself and saying yes i don't need that here anymore um you know the smaller scraps i'll keep around because i do a lot of like demonstration type stuff for the hand tool school but if it's like more than three feet long it's like get it out of here take it back to the to the lumber shed so i moved a bunch of stuff around there and i have decided that my lumber shed is now a hazard to myself um, (laughs) because i i took um I had to move. I've got this huge piece of um, walnut. It's uh, probably 11 quarter-ish thick, uh, 28-some inches wide, big, huge slab of walnut. It's 10 feet long. And, oh, wow. Um, it's leaning <laughs> because my garden shed, my lumber shed, is doesn't have that big of ceilings. It's at this, like, very acute angle <laughs> stretched across the shed. <laughs> and um, I had to shift that in order to get to the rack oh. to be able to put. I've got these... Um, almost like a bookshelf looking thing where I've got the three, the four foot and under boards that are sitting there kind of sticking out from the wall. And I had to duck under that walnut board to get to it. And uh, I kind of judged it incorrectly and, and <laughs> hit the board with my shoulder and the whole board shifted. And of course the, the, 
the door to the shed is open and, and you know there are blocks on the ground that act as stops for the door so the door mm-hmm. doesn't swing in too far but a board that big it doesn't take much to kind of hop over a two by four <laughs> and shoot out the door <laughs> suddenly this enormous 10 foot piece of, of ridiculously wide walnut comes crashing down on top of me and uh yeah my lumber shed bit back and i've gotten oh, wow. to the point now where I, i'm i'm not allowed to buy lumber anymore <laughs> I, I keep doing this where i've got i know i've got some lumber out in the shed that will work but it like in the quest for that perfect color and grain match it's like oh well i've got to go buy new material so that it's all the same right you know i can't i can't yeah, start, like, just start buying log flitches come on yeah yeah that's what i need to do is start buying log flitches and finding a place to put them then you don't have any problems right yeah, you're bad the first problem of grain matching and color matching yeah right. not so much storage space but hey well but you know i still i cannot bring myself to just throw out like a four foot long board you know even a three foot long board you know what there's got to be something i can do with this right but i end up with a lot of four foot and and shorter boards that it does get to be difficult so i'm gonna have to come up with some projects where i'm just gonna have to like dye them <laughs> it's good for me actually i don't do that much dye work anymore i'm big big fan of just natural clear coat finishes because i like the natural wood to show through but uh it would be good for my skill set to do more dyeing <laughs> so there we go that's the solution dye it <laughs> yeah 2017 will be the year of dye it's <laughs> gonna have to start cull- culling my herd of lumber out there it's gotten ridiculous i know first world problems lumberyard employee problems i know it's tough mm-hmm. i'm gonna get hate mail now <laughs> And, and, and the first person that sends me email saying, I can tell you where to send that lumber, um, I'm going to I'm going to ban you. I don't know what that means. <laughs> we don't have the ability to ban people. Send you an invoice for the shipping. There we go. Nice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. There's not a whole lot new in the woodworking world. Maybe there is. I just didn't pay attention. Uh, it's summertime. Yeah. But um, actually, just today, there was an article that came out maybe it wasn't today i don't know very recently there's an article that came out on christopher schwartz blog on popular woodworking that was kind of one of those like i want to stand up and applaud when i read it um, he starts out talking about how sandpaper is not a new thing and sandpaper has been around a long time to the point where the egyptians used sandstones and didn't use planes because the romans invented planes so you know it's like at first i started reading it going okay this is another one of those hey it's okay to use sandpaper people because so many people have kind of People like me, bad influences like me that have taken people down the Neanderthal route and you think that like sandpaper is a bad word. Stop poo-pooing sandpaper. I have to tell you, I've got quite a bit of sandpaper in my shop, folks. It just starts at 220. I don't need 80 grit or whatever because that's what my smoothing plane's for, you know? But there's a great... Um, he makes a couple of really good points. First of all, about kind of how we would go about smoothing a project. And, you know, then you deal with the tough stuff with a card scraper and then you blend the card scraper finish and the smooth plane finish with sandpaper. <sighs> Gasp. Oh. You know, oh, my God. You know, but there is a great point that Chris makes later in the article about, you know what, tear out is not like the end of the world. And go to a museum or look at so-called masterpieces and you'd be surprised like not only first of all how many scallop surfaces are left from like scrub planes and four planes but just how much tear out shows up on the show surfaces of these boards it's like okay granted our our standards have gone up i think in in more modern times because we have modern tools and spiral cutter heads and 
sandpaper <laughs> to really, really fine grits to allow us to, to baby our surfaces. But, you know, there's a, an image that he uses in there. I think it's a maple board that's been smoothed and a little bit of sanded. And there's just a tiny bit of tear out one little section. And it's his like caption says, should I go back and work that till the tear out's gone? It's like, no, I think I'll move on to finish. And it's like, <laughs> you know, it's not that we want you to loosen your standards, but be realistic, people. Tear out is not a bad word. Um, it, it doesn't have to be this absolutely perfect surface. And moreover, you need to really think about what is the surface? Like, is anybody going to see the surface? And if they do, is it going to be in like dark shade because it's under a table or it's on the foot of a table? It's going to be in shade from the tabletop or the you know, the back of a drawer that no one's ever going to see. You need to really think about this and not obsess over getting that absolutely perfect surface and sanding it to 600 grit. You know, these are not our chisel backs. We don't need to see our reflection in the, in the wood. So it was just one of those kind of perfectly timed articles that, it spoke to me, man. You really spoke to me, Chris. So it's it's worth it's worth checking out because he makes some really good points. I think that's really that's very timely too because like I don't know what it is, but like lately I've just been noticing more and more that at least at least when I started woodworking, it was like there was just this this pursuit of perfection. Everything had to be absolutely perfect. And the more time I spend actually building things, the more I realize that there's only certain things that need to be like perfect or. You know, like the things you're actually going to see as we should focus all your time on yeah. the back of a drawer, not that big of a deal. <laughs> no. The bottom of a drawer, definitely not a big deal. The bottom of a leg, not a deal at all. Right. You yeah. know, the top of a leg or tabletops and be resting on top of it doesn't matter. Yeah. Tables are awesome for that because like the apron. I mean, when are you going to see the apron? You know, unless you're not, not that often. You know, <laughs> the bottom edge. You know, I, I suppose your, I suppose your son probably could see the apron as he crawls <laughs> under, but you know, until he starts talking and starts calling out your mistakes, you know, you're fine. You're good to go. Yeah, but you want that like with the apron. You only need one good side. Yeah, you, know, you can hide whatever you want on the inside. Yeah, or you don't. That you, if you don't really want to, you don't have to surface it. You can just have a rough sawn inside apron face if you really wanted to. Yeah, and and that's what I talk about with you know people with hand tools all the time. It's like hand tool woodworking can actually be very efficient because because we know how much work goes into planing <laughs> that side. I'm not touching that side. I'm gonna hit it with a foreplane and move on. You know, you really focus on what are your reference faces. You know, mm-hmm. okay, well it's nice to have a reference face. Does that actually have to be square to another face if you only have one reference face on the board who cares if it's square you know you don't have to make it square to itself how does that work that sounds like some sort of disruption space time continuum right there that's some flux capacitor stuff right there (laughs) so yeah i mean you can you can save so much time by just recognizing what's important and what you just don't have to care about you know i do realize there are some ocd Annually retentive people out there who want to, you know, make everything perfect. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, I cannot bring myself to leave like a rough sawn surface, like fuzzy surface. Like if you're going to be able, maybe on the underside of a drawer, but I feel like that might affect like how it runs in the case sometimes. Um, maybe, I don't know. The drawer panel probably won't make a big deal, but like the underside of a tabletop, you know, you're going to run your hands on it from time to time. I don't want people getting splinters, but yeah. I'll hit it with a four plane and just leave the scallop marks because to me that actually feels cooler. You know, if you run your hand out of the tabletop that way, um, I, I've, I glued up panels before where I left one side rough sawn and eventually, you know, with the, with the, the intention of I'll just leave it, leave it that way. And then I'm like, you know, what am I trying to make a statement here? You know, just take the <laughs> foreplane and, and move on. But yeah, I, I do think that we, 
we have hopefully maybe we've hit that pursuit of perfection and the more we've kind of maybe dialed it back a little bit because we realize that maybe that's not possible yeah well my favorite thing about this pursuit of perfection is the joy of undercutting where Ah, you 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 purposely make something imperfect so that the thing that matters turns out perfect right right undercut your dovetail baseline so that it fits together with no gaps yeah Yeah. dovetails uh shoulders on tenons you can undercut those as well so you get a nice tight shoulder well that's one of the reasons i wrote a blog post a long time ago that still gets me a lot of flack where i basically said why have a shoulder plane like what's the point i don't need a shoulder plane they're dumb people like (laughs) i use them to tune my tenon shoulders all the time i'm like why like i undercut all my tenon shoulders like if it comes out square i'll just come back with like a chisel and just kind of zip right along the base and just you know hollow out a little section mm-hmm. why do i need you know I'm, I'm not saying there are certainly reasons for shoulder planes there just isn't one in my shop because it, it just i've never felt them to be that big of a deal but i'll purposely undercut stuff for that reason another thing like for um for aesthetic effect like say the the, the lower apron of something and maybe you've cut like a curved shape or something into it beveling that back so you get a harder line and that that curve shows up more as a hard line whereas like especially on on like a table apron where it's a little bit higher off the ground and your perspective as you look at it you could possibly see the thickness of that that apron Mm -hmm. if you bevel it back you definitely can't see the thickness all you see is that hard edge and it makes that that scallop shape that curve shape pop out even more that's really cool i never thought about that yeah it's it's very common in like um early um in 18th century furniture if you think of like the scallop shapes of like queen anne aprons and Mm -hmm. things like that they're generally beveled back you know mainly because you know they cut that out with a with a turning saw and it's like do i want to go in and there's another instance where how important (laughs) is it to clean up that surface you know if you used a fine tooth turning saw just leave it you know bevel that cutback and leave the roughs on surface because you've beveled it you're never going to see it um and if the the saw is fine enough it's not like you've got a splintery edge or something like that or you hit it with a spoke shave and maybe clean up the the wider curves but like those tight um points like inside the scallop shape i'm not hitting that with a file i can't get a spoke shave in there leave it alone you know bevel it back and all you see is that hard line on the front edge it's pretty cool Hmm. think about um in more modern terms think about like a maloof rocker where you've got that really hard line on the outside of the armrest Mm -hmm. um that's because everything's been beveled back around it so that you get that one kind of sharp line that the light bounces off of so it's the same effect fancy boy we went on a tangent there that was a good one. Where's Vanderlist? That, that was a Vanderlist uh, epic tangent. I like it. I like it. <laughs> covered design. All inspired by Chris Schwartz. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. Always giving. <laughs> You're always giving. <laughs> we just keep taking. Just take, take, take from Chris. All right. Let's move on to kickback. We've got a couple of them here. You want to jump on that one, Matt? Yeah, this, one, this first one here is from Tommaso. Kickback for the guy working on the drying rack, stepping down the dowel from three quarters to three eighths. Uh, about a year ago, I was working on a Glastonbury style chair, which is a medieval style chair using dowels as, as hinge points. Uh, these dowels go from inch and an eighth and step down to three quarters in a shoulder tenon. I use a method that Cremona mentions using the miter gauge and a table saw. It's the easiest and most efficient. Oh, nice. Cool. So now we, we have actual practical proof that that works. Perfect. I was making it up. I was making it up. I was I gonna say, it, I've heard of it. I was going to say, I don't think you actually did that, right? It was just, yeah, <laughs> most of the stuff on this show, we just make it up. So, yeah. Nice. Thank you, Tommaso, mainly because we just like to say your name. It is fun. <clears throat> um, this next one comes from Chad. 
And one of your previous shows, you discussed Walnut at Home Depot, which still just blows my mind. Um, you have 300 plus shows. I don't recall which one it does. We could have five and I wouldn't recall which one it was. I don't know. We talked about last week. Yeah. So Chad says he went to Home Depot in Seattle yesterday and found that they recently started stocking one-inch S4S walnut. They sell it by the foot with a six-inch board going for an astounding $11.42 a foot. Um, then he goes on to say that uh, comes out to $22.84 for board foot. They also carried um, other widths, all being one-inch thick. Now, one of the reasons I don't want to read this is there's a little bit of an error in your math there, Chad. Sorry to call you out on this, but if it is a nominal one-inch thickness, an S4S one-inch thickness, it did not start with a four-quarter board. They started with a five-quarter board, which if you do the math there, um, that's only about $18 a board foot, which I know may sound like a lot. But you have to remember S2, S, S1S, S4S, that is a milled product. You had to start with a rough-sawn board to get there, and you you pay for that rough-sawn board. You're essentially paying for the sawdust. But, you know, think about it. If you were making a piece of furniture and you had to buy, you know, 100 board feet for that piece of furniture and you know the actual piece of furniture ended up being 80 board feet because there were little off cuts here and there and little triangles you cut out from this piece or that piece and that 20 board feet's a bit much but just for this example 20 board feet ended up kind of on the floor of your shop in dust and small unusable off cuts you're not going to then charge the customer for 80 board feet you're charging the customer for the 100 board feet that you bought to build that project you can't reuse that 20 board feet and that's exactly what's happening here when you're S4Sing something, there is material that's coming off, specifically in the thickness and in the width and things like that. So in order to get your six inch, your one, your nominal dimension, one by six, but whatever length, you had to start with a five quarter board that was at least, I'd say they probably pulled a seven inch board to get that because again, they're running it through a molder that's cutting all four sides at once. So they're not, you know, taking off an eighth of an inch because you might end it with skip or whatever. If they're side bend, they're taking off a hefty, at least half inch off of each side to get that six inch finished dimension. Now it, it might not be six inches. It might be that typical five and a half or whatever, but I, I doubt I'm, it. I would think they're probably giving you a full nominal one by six. I'm surprised that they're actually stocking like full one inch thick stock there. Yeah. I wonder if that's in response to like the woodworkers going, well, I don't want to buy it three quarter cause it's going to end up warping on me anyway. So maybe they, they stocked maybe. it thicker. Hmm. Um, either, either that or it's actually three quarter and he's just saying one inch. I don't know, but I mean, that's pretty impressive. If it is one inch thick stock, they're still in there. It's cool. Yeah, well, he goes on to say they also carried other widths, all being one inch thick. So he doesn't say it twice, so maybe it actually is one inch thick. But that's cool. It's just important to know. Granted, I'm, I'm not nitpicking on the price. The, you know, it's it's expensive, certainly. Home Depot will be because there's a lot of stuff that happened to that board before it landed in their rack. And while their prices on other things like red oak and poplar and maple might be better, not really, they might be better because they're buying a heck of a lot more of it. I think most of the Home Depots around the country are carrying red oak and poplar. Um, most of them also have maple, too, at least the ones that I've been to in many different too. regions of the country. So you think about the buying power of Home Depot. They're buying a lot of them. Now, walnut, I can think of maybe there's probably less than 10 markets that are stocking walnut. So their buying power went down significantly there. And it may be that it's an individual store purchase. So I doubt they're bringing in a truckload of S4S walnut. They're probably bringing in a thousand board feet uh, of S4S walnut. Or at that point, they're probably bringing in linear feet since it's S4S instead of mm-hmm. um, volumetric. 
purchase. So, you know, their cost is going to be a lot higher than their maple or their poplar, not just because walnut's more expensive, but just because of a volume buy. So it's going to be expected that those prices are going to be higher just because of the number of people who have taken their slice of that pie before it landed on that rack at Home Depot. So anyway, he does he does mention further um, that the boards were clear. No sap would have visible in any of the boards in the pile. I was surprised the grade was better than what I see at my local lumber yards. Well, there's another reason why it's more expensive. And here's another thing that Home Depot can do. Home, you know, we all want that Home Depot contract. You know, if Home Depot comes to you and says, you know, we want walnut and we're going to buy three truckloads of it for these 20 stores or whatever, you know, that that's great because more than likely Home Depot is setting up some sort of ongoing buying program because Home Depot is not really in the business of we're just going to carry it for a week. You know, they when they buy stuff, they're prepared to keep buying it. They want to, you know, they don't want to tease their customers and have them come back a week later and they, oh, we don't carry that anymore. So this is a, a lucrative contract for somebody to get. So Home Depot can dictate terms and say, well, we don't want any sapwood. We want 100% clear, which in walnut is really hard to do. <laughs> Walnut is is not mm-hmm. a defect free tree. It's a very gnarly Probably tree. Probably start with even water boards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you think you're about painful offcuts. You know, you're not getting them. That six inch board, you know, they probably say say they started with a thousand board feet to get whatever their finished linear dimension was, and they probably ended up with you know three hundred board feet in in waste that was cut off in sapwood that was cut off because of knots and things like that. That's actually probably very conservative. It's probably more than that. Um, I say this because we've got a a, a boat customer, a big um, well Viking yachts. There's no secret big. Um, yacht manufacturer that started to use walnut on their interiors and they want the same kind of quality walnut they're getting with their feq quality teak and we've had to like re-educate them that yeah it's possible but it's not like it's going to be double the cost it could be triple or quadruple the cost and it doesn't matter how much you buy it's just really hard to get walnut that looks like this so you know that's actually probably a pretty good price now that I think about it. Eleven forty-two a foot for hundred percent clear, no sapwood, one inch nominal thickness. I say go for it. And it's probably been dried pretty well too, just because most kiln operators recognize the total value of walnut and they're not gonna like rush it through. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Maybe. Who knows? Anyway, anybody else have a Home Depot that so, that stocks walnut? I'd love to see uh, hear what you say about the grade and is it actually one inch thick? So I think go. the other thing too with walnut, it's like the prices just varies like ridiculously by region too. Yeah. So it's yeah. probably, I know like out west, it's like easily like $14, $12, $14 a board foot at like a lumber, a lumber yard. So this isn't that far off, I guess. Yeah. No, I don't that, think so. I mean, so. It's, it's common to see $8 a board foot for four quarter walnut around here. But again, you're talking about rough sawn stuff and i'm also talking about larger quantities that i see yeah i've I got some retailers of the road for me that are selling it for nine nine eighty um pretty commonly so yeah and it's definitely not 100 percent clear <laughs> if you want superior grade walnut 100 percent clear no defects you're in the 12 dollar board foot range um very easily very easily for four quarter stuff don't even get me started on eight quarter and 10 quarter 12 quarter that's an exponential upgrade so yeah anyway well um one of our other sponsors of the show is harry's and i wanted to take a moment to talk a little bit about them um mainly because i'm the only guy that shaves around here anymore i have been using i've just been i've been using the razors for a while but i've been using like the 
shaving cream that I happen to still have floating around the house. Um, ran out of that, and I was like, oh, well, you know what? I got this kit from Harry's, and I pulled out their um, shaving gel. Oh, my God, what a huge difference. That stuff <laughs> is nice. And it smells good, too. My wife likes the way I smell, So, which is a first. She normally doesn't like the way I smell. So. <laughs> that was nice. So I want to thank you to Thank Harry's you. for making me smell good. It's very nice. It's very nice. But, you know, it, 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 it's I've been a, a user now for more than a year, I think. Um, good stuff. So if you haven't tried them out yet, I really uh, recommend them, and we appreciate it if you uh, um, go and, and, and buy them and use the code WOODTALK. Because if you use WOODTALK, you'll get $5 off your first purchase, and they continue to see that we're valuable and stuff like that. So, yeah always a good price factory direct prices all that fun stuff and you know there's a oh yeah there was something i actually saw this the other day um well the, the harry starter set it's called the truman that's a great option for new customers and an amazing deal for just 15 <laughs> you get a razor handle moisturizing shave cream that's the stuff that i like and three of harry's five blade german engineered razors because you know if it's german engineered it's good um and as i mentioned use the code wood talk and you get five dollars off the other thing that i will mention is um, go to Harry's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and they've got a new um, razor head. Uh, brand new. Just came out. That's got like a little detail cutter on it and everything. And um, Harry's if you're listening you can send me one of those because I'd like to try it. Where are we Matt? What are we doing here? Voicemails. We don't have any voicemails this week. Nobody loved us that much. What? Come Maybe on Maybe it's because they don't know what to call. Oh they'll let them know. Maybe that's it. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. That's Wood Talk Online. Or you can call us with that phone thing at 623-242-5180. That's 623-242-5180. Can I say that faster? 623-242-5180. Anyway. If you leave a voicemail, there's a very, very high likelihood that we'll actually play on the show. Yeah. yeah. Because we we play like like them all. Yeah. It's pretty much a guarantee you'll get on the show. Especially if you have an accent or a funny name. (laughs) Or if you don't have an accent and you fake an accent. We really like those. Those are good. Anyway, Matt, I've been talking too much. Why don't you again? Why don't you, yeah, tell us an email. I'm repressing you. I'm tell us an Mark's email. <laughs> tell us an email. <laughs> tell me about email. How's we it got? We got some email here. I'm going to answer a question. Maybe we'll see how how well I actually do at answering it. This one is from Jason from Maine. It says when you guys put on hardware. When do you guys put on hardware in your projects, like drawer slides, hinges, knobs, and pulls, before or after final sanding, or do you wait until after finishing? I usually like to put things on before sanding to make sure everything is all fit and right together, but it can be annoying to put them on and take them off for finishing. Also, the finish sometimes get down, gets down into the holes, and I have to drill them out again after. Just wondering what you guys do. Thanks to the great show. So, for me... I don't really ever use drawer slides, so I can't really speak to that. But for hinges, knobs, and pulls, hinges, I'll usually sand my project parts to maybe like 120 grit just to get all my rough sanding done so I have my boards to pretty much their final dimension. And then I'll install my hinges if I'm doing like a mortise for like a butt hinge or something like that. That way, when I do my final sanding to the the project part, the the uh the actual project will project part won't lose as much thickness and those hinges will still be flush to the surface or whatever reveal or setback i left them at probably flush um with finishing for the hinges i just remove them and then i don't finish the the hinge mortises because why bother (laughs) i guess (laughs) another one of those things going back to our previous tangent about things that matter and things that probably don't um knobs and pulls i install those after the finish i just find that to be 
an easy thing to install last after everything's all done and good. I usually lay out my uh, hole locations on some blue tape, uh, drill my holes and be done with it. I also find that it I usually get a cleaner hole when I'm drilling through finish because it seems to hold the fibers in place a little better so you don't get as much uh, tear out or blow out or anything like that. Hmm, you don't have to be as careful with it. I hadn't thought about that. I've always done it the opposite way, but you're right. That would actually make a cleaner hole. That's that brilliant. Know. Well, I specifically do it that way because I end up putting layout marks all over everything, and then I just have to clean them off. But yeah, blue tape. Yeah. So Neat. when I Good when tip. I drill the holes for my poles, I don't even I don't put a backer board on it for for blow it or anything. I just drill a hole, and usually ends up extremely clean. And again, it's on the inside of the drawer, so if there's a little bit of you know fuzziness or whatever, it's going to get covered by the screw head anyway most of the time. Yeah, that's awesome. That works out really well. But that's the one thing about if you want to get things flush. Or anything like that is make sure you do all of your rough surface prep before you do anything like that because if you get the stuff flush and then you start doing some rough sanding, like, oh, I got to take this big thing of tear out out and now I just took like a 30-second of inch of material off this board and now your stuff is proud. Yeah. So, not and, and you can't be proud of that. That's can't bad. be proud of that. Go back to the beginning again. What do you What do you say about when he says, uh, I have to drill out the holes because finish gets stuck in them? I've never had that problem before. Uh, I would I would assume if you were doing I don't know if you drilled your holes for your poles first and then you put finish on the drawer maybe it gets some gunk down in there I just stick the screw in and <laughs> that's wow. drilling out the hole not everybody can think ahead like you no no I I no, don't mean beforehand if there's finish that gets in the hole I usually just like thread the screw through and the screw cuts its way through the finish <laughs> I mean if we're talking like drawer pulls or whatever the screw's going in from the back side of the drawer and. I don't know. I've never really had that issue where I've had to actually drill it out. I would be scared to take a drill to my finished surface. Knowing me, I'd like slip and <laughs> gouge up the finished surface. That's that's that wouldn't be good. Yeah, I guess I've never had that that issue. Even the few times that I've drilled the holes prior to adding finish. I mean, I guess I I don't know. Hmm. Interesting point. Well, I like anyway. your idea though. Just put it through and it'll yeah. cut its way through. I don't know. This is a screw does right. Cuts it. <laughs> or even if it's not a screw, if it's just like a bolt, like just typical in in like metal hardware, like drawer pulls or whatever, and just, just poke it through. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that blue tape tip though. I don't know why I've never thought about that. I yeah, well, so perfectly. I don't know. Maybe that would well, even if I haven't finished, that would just save me having to clean off pencil marks on my drawer faces and things like that. Hey. It's one of those like head slap moments. Like, why have I never done that before? I have use you, blue tape you, for everything else in the shop. Have you heard uh just use a little acetone to take that uh pencil graphite right off? What you just said a bad word. Yeah, sorry. We're gonna have to put explicit rating on this. <laughs> no, because for me usually it's I'm kind of like you, where I'm like almost to my finished surface when I do the the hardware, and then I come back and smooth plane everything after that. So it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. I'm not like I'm erasing anything off. I'm just planing over it and giving me that final smooth plane luster happiness Ooh. that is so wonderful. Maybe with a little bit of tear out, it's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Tear out is good, people. It just means that it was handmade. <laughs> all right. This next one, it actually comes from Ben, but I'm going to say it comes from Ben and Mark because they had similar questions on the sharpening vein here. So um, this is mostly Ben, but Mark, if you're listening, um, I'm thinking of you, buddy. Thinking of you. I'm trying to, to kill two birds with one stone here. One sharpening stone. Aha. Uh, please, ben says, I've, them. <laughs> I have a question about sharpening. I have recently been getting into, almost to the point of obsessing, about getting my tools razor sharp. 
I mostly build cabinets, and the tools I'm primarily sharpening are standard bench chisels, block, bench planes, etc. I use Japanese water stones and a honing guide to sharpen, and I've been pretty happy with the results. My question is about the stones themselves. I have a 1,000-8,000 grit combination stone, and usually always keep it stored in a tub of water and pull it out when needed. I have read, uh oh, this is where sharpening goes wrong. <laughs> I have read contradicting opinions about stone contamination and was wondering if I have a combination stone, will the particles from the more coarse stone contaminate the finer stone? Would it be better not to store them in water when they're not in use? Also, I was thinking about buying a stone with a higher grit than 8,000 that I already have, but wanted to ask if you guys think it'd be worth worth it or the money would be better spent elsewhere. Uh, would you say a 10,000 grit or 12,000 grit stone really makes my chisels noticeably more sharp than honing it on an 8,000? And that's where Mark's question comes in, because he had a question about, is it actually make it sharper or is it more durable? What does the higher grit stuff actually mean? So I'm multitasking here. So um, first first things first, um, I used the, one of those combination stones for years. I never worried about contamination. <laughs> um, that's not to say that it doesn't happen, especially when you're talking about as disparate things as 1,000 and 8,000. There is kind of a big difference there but the one thing that you should always be doing with water stones is what matt what should be doing keep soaking them i don't know flattening them oh that oh yeah come on i don't know you're talking about like storing them in water i don't know (laughs) i set you up there i apologize So you, you need to keep water stones flat a lot. You know, they go out of flat pretty easily. So the first, generally, I just got in the habit of, um, you know, I used to do this where I would flatten when I was done sharpening. But because on my combination stones, you know, they come out of the water and it was always a little bit like stanky sitting in the old water. So I'd pull out the, the flattening stone. Going. Yeah. You know, I'd swipe a couple pencil marks across it and re-flatten the stone. It just kind of give me a fresh surface because, again, those fresh particles are going to cut more efficiently. So what you're doing is flattening that stone and kind of sloughing off that top layer of, of stone, of grit particles, and revealing a fresh, clean surface. So if there is any cross-contamination, you should be removing that with the flattening stone. Now, where that can go wrong is if you don't rinse off your flattening stone. <laughs> um, but, you know, even then, I I don't have running water in my shop. I do have a... a, a utility sink just in the laundry room i'm pointing for for everyone listening i'm right pointing right now it's over there <laughs> pointing at that door um it's amazing how much how much gesticulating i do during an audio show um but i have i have a bucket that i fill with water and you know do occasionally remember to put fresh water in there but i'll just kind of dunk the flattening stone in there and just rinse off any particles or swore for whatever and then flatten the other side of the stone and that's been fine for me i think just keeping that stone flat and constantly presenting a fresh surface to your your tools will help prevent any of that cross-contamination thing um, as far as storing it in water all the time, I don't see a problem with that as long as your shop temperature doesn't get below freezing. Uh, if that water freezes or gets close to freezing, you can have you can ruin a stone because um, the water that water that's actually in the stone already will expand and it can crack apart the stone. So that is something to be uh, thinking about. Plus, it's not a bad idea every now and then just just to dump that water out because as i said it gets kind of skanky and there's all kinds of stuff that you can add into the water you know to keep it you know it's kind of like adding chlorine to your pool but frankly just dump it out like once a week and put new water in there i don't see a problem with keeping the stone in there all the time now in regards to the higher grit thing i am not a proponent of going higher than eight thousand grit i just 
think it's it's diminishing returns. And there are people that are much better woodworkers than me who will just swear by 16,000, 32,000 grit stones. Here's, here's what's going on, as I understand it. When you move to the higher grit stone, all you're doing is refining that edge. You can make a chisel sharp on 100 grit sandpaper. You know, what is sharp? Sharp is the... you. you the Euclidean meeting of two lines, right? They meet in, a, in that perfect Euclidean intersection. It is sharp. But if you did it with a thousand grit sandpaper, you're going to have deeper gouges, deeper kind of ruts in, in that steel. So what you're presenting is more of like, imagine like a toothing plane. You know, we're, we're talking like microscopic here, folks. Maybe not microscopic with 100 grit sandpaper, but you know, you've got that, that frayed edge that's presenting smaller kind of teeth that are it's sharp. Like, it's like serrated almost. Yeah, serrated. That's a better word. There you go. Although frayed, you. frayed might be good because what happens you know with those little edges they're a lot weaker you know, you're presenting a, a narrower bit of sharpened steel that could bend and break off kind of like the burr would break off a, a off a stone so now you go up to a thousand grit and now you're getting finer scratches and while you're still presenting that frayed or that serrated edge you've got like the little gullets between those serrations are shallower and you're presenting more of a unified edge you go up to eight thousand grit and one of the reasons that eight thousand grit generally is pulling up a mirror polish is those scratches are so fine that they're they're almost not noticeable and that's why you get that mirror polish i just can't imagine that you're going to increase the durability that much more to the point where it actually matters folks you know the metallurgists are going to come at me right now oh it increases it by a factor of 1.1478 gigawatts or whatever (laughs) 1.21 gigawatts so I just I just haven't seen it, and we have a um, a sixteen thousand grit stone at the Stepping Stone Museum that somebody brought in one time. I, I joke because I think even that person realized it was kind of useless, so they brought it into the museum and just left it there. <laughs> one one of the volunteers, you know, and was like. Hey, your stone's over there. Yeah, I know. I'm just going to leave it here because he obviously didn't need it in his own shop. And I've used one. I used a 16,000 grit. I didn't see a dang bit of difference in the durability, the, the the length of time that that edge would last. I just don't think it makes that big of a difference. So certainly I'm open to being corrected here. If people have, have measurable evidence to that 16,000 or 32,000 grit stone, um, I scientifically, physically, I understand what it's doing. And yes, it should be making a more durable edge it's not making it any sharper it's just making it more unified um but in terms of woodworking you know it's kind of like you know if you want to flatten all of your boards to a tolerance of less than a thousandth of an inch that's great but you know as soon as that storm rolls through it's going to be out of flat again (laughs) so it's kind of the same thing it's path of diminishing returns in my opinion matt have you ever used anything that fine no, I was going to say that if, you know, speaking of diminishing returns, I think the best bang for your buck if you want to go over 8,000 is to pick yourself up one of them horse butts and some of that green stuff. Yeah, horse butt. And, and just do that because it's so much cheaper than going up to these other stones and you get, That's I would true. say, Those the same results for a lot less money. And it's a lot easier to just keep by your bench and just keep that edge nice and fresh all the time. And you'd be surprised how rarely you have to actually go back to the stones. Absolutely. I, um, I was thinking about this last night because I actually had to go do something on my 8,000 grit stone. And it was like, <laughs> when was the last time I used this thing? And I couldn't remember. Um, 
I have three strops just like hanging around the shop in various oh, nice. places because I'm too lazy to walk six steps. Basically, <laughs> it's what it really comes down to. And I live and die by those things. And I have no idea what the resultant grit is, nor do I care. Plus, I've also found they're a lot more forgiving. Um, there's no question that maybe it's slightly rounding over the edge. And there's no question that every now and then I do have to go back to a stone and kind of reset mm-hmm. that bevel. But I'm strapping that thing for months on end before I'm going back to a stone. Yeah, it's gr- it's great. It's yeah. It's I don't know why or I think I just like I bought one just to be like, oh, this seems like it'd be a good thing to try. It's pretty cheap, you know. I'm not gonna be out much to try it. Oh, it just changed my life. Like oh, my yeah. tools were like always sharp. I didn't have to wait for them to get dull. They're always sharp. They're not getting dull on me. Yeah, and I mean a strop is nice and clean. You know, there's no water, there's no oil, there's there's no swarf or any of that stuff coming off. You can keep it right there on your bench and just, you know, swipe it a couple of times. Um, yeah, that's one of the reasons that I have multiple because I got one on my joinery bench where I do all my dovetailing. And that is usually where I see the chisels start to, to dull up as I'm chopping out baseline. Oh, it's, you know, it's crazy, like how much of a difference it makes too. Like you can, oh, yeah. it's noticeable. Yeah. Like I was, I was pairing some tendon shoulders. I'm like, this is kind of dragging, and it's kind of hard to push through. I'm like, okay, I'm grab a strop, give it like you know five, six stroppings or whatever you want to call them, strokes, Droppings. whatever. I like that. <laughs> Go back. I was like. Zip, 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 zip. You know, it's like, this is like the sharpest thing ever all of a sudden. Right. And you start to realize, like, how, quote, dull your blade had actually gotten. Like, yeah. Man, I've been working too hard. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I did the same thing on my shooting board the other day. I was uh, shooting some cherry, and it was actually getting a little bit of stutter. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got too heavy a cut here. And I, like, dialed it back. I, I turned the, the knob back, like, maybe a quarter turn, and suddenly it wasn't cutting. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I must not have been taking that heavy a cut. And I was like, oh, you idiot. Try, try sharpening the blade. So I just whipped it out, had the strop right there. Strop, strop, strop. Like, that's going to be the verb. That's our verb now. Strop. I have, I, I, sh- I was, went a stropping. Um, and, uh, put that back in and it was like that that smooth kind of snick snick feel on the shooting board no effort whatsoever sliced right through eight inches of a of a eight inch width board on ingrain got a beautiful shaving that held together you know wow. you know when the ingrain shaving holds together that it's a sharp blade now mm-hmm. uh, there's absolutely no crushing of fibers at all and it was 12 seconds <laughs> <laughs> Maybe to do that, you know, whip it across the strop four or five times and back to work. Yeah, you're right. It's a noticeable difference. So if you're not a strop convert yet, then you should be. I think that green stuff is 15,000 grit. Sure. Some, some Sounds like great. I don't know. It's super fine. It's nice. And it's cheap. I mean, when you're looking at these water stones, what are those like the ceramic 12,000 grit stones? Are they at least like $150, $200 for a stone? That might be more than that. The Shapton, so, like sixteen grand or six, sixteen grand, sixteen thousand grit is it's sixteen grand. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, Put so it this way: you can buy a heck of a lot of horse butt for that. A horse butt is about twenty dollars, twenty five dollars, and the stick of compound is like ten bucks. The, the stick of compound is gonna last the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, and and you will basically uh, have enough money left over to go buy another chisel. Yeah, there you go, or, or a, a few chisels. Yeah, some fancy ones, seven or eight fancy chisels. So, yeah. <laughs> There you go, Ben and Mark. We answered both of you with one fell swoop. Very nice. So, Matt, how can you support Wood Talk? How can I? I can continue to show up every you can Monday. Show up. <laughs> I'm supporting all of you just by showing up today. I'm Matt Cremona. <laughs> Look at my I, lovely from. I bring a lot with me, you know. <laughs> Do you know who but I am? If you'd like to support us, 
there is a donate button over on our website over at woodtalkshow.com you can set up a one-time or recurring donation over there and of course you can pick up a woodtalk t-shirt and look extremely fashionable absolutely just like i do sometimes i'm sporting that shirt yeah never while recording though that's bad luck actually no i don't think i've worn it while recording (laughs) yeah the the one time i did that it was a very bad show (laughs) (laughs) it's just too much self-aggrandizement you can't do that anyway i don't know if we have any itunes reviews i didn't bother to look them up so if you left us a five-star rating and said something cool we'll let mark read it next week because we hope Mark will be back. Mark, 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 we're hoping will guest host next week. You <laughs> never know. So what, what do you think, Matt? You feeling up to the, the little post roll there? It's your chance. Should I send it to you for contact info? Nah. Send it to Matt for contact info? Send it to Matt for contact info. <laughs> Take it comments, away, Matt. Comments, questions, or topic suggestions. You have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy contact form over at woodtalkshow.com slash contact or leave us a comment on our website at woodtalkshow.com. And don't forget to check us out individually at thewoodwhisperer.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. Very nice. Yeah, I like that. Well done. Yeah, Not a single you. stumble. I've been rehearsing. I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> I, just, I just picture you standing in front of the mirror at night, rattling it off. Lindsay's going, shut up. Try to sleep. <laughs> Would you stop with a wood talk on? I'm not stuff? calling your show. <laughs> Get a life. No one cares, Matt. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, Mark, we missed you, buddy. Hope you feel better soon. And uh, we hopefully haven't lost too many subscribers. With <laughs> Hopefully there'll be at least half a show left when you come back next week. Just half. Yeah. All right, folks. That's it for us. Stick a fork in us because we're done. See ya. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 